1: Those are negated by the fact that the actual chemicals that we are using, the cannabinoids and stuff, do not have any effect on those areas. So, in actual fact, the science and the pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics, when we work it out, the safety profile actually, when we look at it, is really good. Uh, And the risks of any serious side effects in the immediate phase, is really, really good. So we don't really have those concerns where we would sort of have with opiates. So hence the reason why nowadays people are thinking maybe we are sort of in the phase of suggesting that actually instead of taking these long-term opiates, maybe we should be trying something else and cannabis may well be the area that we need to go to.
0: Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen Podcast about food, lifestyle, medicine and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor, I study nutrition and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. On the podcast this week, I welcome again to the show, Dr. Atam Singh, a clinical associate of the London Pain Clinic. Dr. Singh first joined us back in April for one of our COVID-19 special episodes, and I'm delighted to have him back on the show today. He is a consultant in pain medicine. He's very experienced in both the assessment and treatment of pain, and he also specializes in musculoskeletal and neuropathic pain of either single or multiple origin, providing personalized holistic approaches to treating and performing interventional procedures actually when necessary more recently he has become one of the few registered practitioners using the cannabis plant and its constituents namely thc and cbd which we talk about a bit more in the podcast in varying proportions to treat a variety of conditions and more specifically in his case pain Now, CBD is something that I'm asked about constantly online and offline by colleagues and patients alike, and that's why I've been meaning to do a series of episodes on CBD, and this is going to be one of them. Uh, On the show today, we talk about the cannabis plant, what it is, and where we find the useful chemicals. THC and CBD, more specifically, the difference between synthetic and natural sources of the plant chemical CBD, the endocannabinoid system. I'm glad I was able to pronounce that in one go. The entourage effect. You'll know exactly what that means at the end of the podcast. Um, we also talk about the lethality of cannabis compared to other drugs of both medicine and recreation, the complexity of chronic pain patients and why CBD has a role. Uh, as well as the difference between prescription and OTC preparations and the delivery mechanism of CBD as well. I really hope you can catch the recipe that I made for Dr. Atom on YouTube. This is just the podcast bit where we talk about his speciality and experience, but I, I think you're going to enjoy the recipe as well. It's a delicious mushroom recipe where I uh, add lentils and um, spicy tomatoes, sweet paprika. It's a delicious one. You'll find it on YouTube. And remember, you can check out the Newsletter where we give weekly recipes at the doctorskitchen.com. Sign up now, and uh, for now, on to the podcast. So, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast, second time. Um, we were introduced by, uh, Dr. Amy, uh, Gadja, who's based in Sydney is a wonderful practitioner, GP also practices, but functional medicine is an interested, uh, in <clears throat> CBD as well. Um, I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about your background, medical history, um, not your personal medical history, but you know, your history in medicine and, uh, and how you got into, uh, uh pain, uh, medicine. Um,
1: uh, I think like all of us who, who've done medicine it starts pretty much from a young age doesn't it i mean you know my dad's gp gets sort of pushed into that environment of medicine and you know my my brother and my sister got nothing to do with medicine and so it was pretty much on me to be that doctor (laughs) (laughs) but it was voluntary it was voluntary and it was something that i was want, want always wanted to do got through training at in london and then um I think the real main thing that I wanted to do, particularly anaesthetics, was being in A&E. And then we just noticed that that when anything difficult or problematic happened, that requiring immediate sort of doctor intervention, everybody in the A&E department wanted the anaesthetist to be there. Uh, And so that's where I kind of felt that anaesthetics was the way forward, because as soon as the anesthetist turned up into the resuscitation environment, they were all going, "My God, yes, he's here! <laughs> Thank God!" And it was it was so it was so it was so kind of relief. It was a massive relief for the whole of the entire department when the anesthetist turned up. So I went forth and did that for um, after I did medicine for three four years, doing the MRCP and stuff like that. Try you know, spending some time on the respiratory wards, and then during anaesthetics, I think. Um, noticed that pain was a major part of the role and pain management was the major part of the uh, role that the anesthetist uh, had to do Um, and it I kind of liked the idea of the procedures I like the idea of um, sort of getting involved and doing your own sort of uh, operations in a way Um, and I like the practical aspects and then with my background of doing medicine I think the ability to sort of communicate and talk and speak with patients sort of backed that up. Um, And and, and I'm sure as as most sort of doctors are aware, uh, chronic pain patients can be quite uh, difficult um, because they have a multiple number of different problems going on. And I think from there, it really took off. Uh, I spent some time in North London at the Royal Free Hospital, did my training there. Then I went to America for a bit uh and did uh, in, in Ann Arbor did some anesthetics as well as sort of shadowing some of the team the pain team around there um and it really just grew um and then coming back to London uh after sort of um some sort of like fellowship up in America just thought this is definitely something that I want to pursue and um yeah eventually just started to get uh the consultant post and uh Developed from there, it's it's without without a doubt, it's the most fruitful part of my job, um, and in a simple way, it's it's kind of you know the most rewarding um, because you get to see the results of your kind of interventions, your processes, your management plans, and you know it's very easy for somebody to recover from say from a chest infection, but to recover fully from a chronic pain condition can be very very problematic. And when you intervene with something, and they even have A degree of improvement the response you get from the patients is just unbelievable so it's you know where people may well think it's not rewarding you know it can be quite problematic and it's a continuous cycle of trying to help patients which have difficulty in dealing with their own problems I find it very very rewarding in other senses.
0: Absolutely that really does resonate with me because as a GP I think and I think a lot of GPs might uh, who listen to this podcast would agree that chronic pain patients are perhaps some of the most complex in terms of the foundations and and, and why and what the root causes of their chronic pain. And I thought, I think maybe to give the listener some breadth of, of the different types of patients that you see, where does chronic pain have an intersection with all the different uh, conditions and, and what types of patients do you see in clinic where they've been suffering from pain for a prolonged period of time? I think
1: um, well, I think when you kind of look at the, the, the areas where I have worked uh, and done pain medicine, I think it kind of, there are very similar, there are very similar um, sort of bunch, uh, groups of patients, I would say. You know, you will always meet your quite elderly patient with a multitude of uh, arthritic parts of their body. You might well get... You know, quite severe osteoarthritis and, and, and various musculoskeletal problems with the elderly population. And that's right the way throughout the, the places where I have done pain medicine. Um, but clearly, when you try to sort of, you know, I now work up, you know, I do uh, work up in the West, in the Hertfordshire area. And also, I work down in central London. The types of patients that one gets with those type of locations does, you know, vary quite a bit. Um, Where in West Hertfordshire, you probably get the slightly older patient who has been, you know, getting on with their life, but always had this chronic lower back pain that seems to be quite difficult to treat. They've got on with it, but now they've reached a kind of standstill with their problems and now they just want some help. And what we see is, is that, you know, these are very kind of uh, communicative Uh, maybe even very, um, uh, you know, motivated patients who really do want to get on with their problems and deal with it, but they have very much a wide social um, sort of support system and that they can actually be, um, you know, they have lots of help from everybody else. Um, You may well go into central London and in places maybe even the Royal Free, which was more kind of northwest London. um, The areas do vary and the kind of um, type of, patients that you see may well be slightly more complex. So they may well have been from, in particularly London, from different countries. They might have experienced different problems and they might have quite a variety of different psychological inputs and sort of backgrounds. And so when you start to kind of break down what exactly do these patients have, um, they become a bit more complicated and they do tend to sort of have, yes, a pathological problem that you need to deal with but the social aspects and the psychological aspects that these patients may well sort of suffer from makes that delivery of pain management process so much more difficult. And so it's, it's, it varies significantly from actually the location that you are working in that determines the type of patients you see and in particularly Northwest London we saw quite a lot of abuse a lot of uh, alcohol alcohol abuse and um, uh, and and things like that and with all the social status um, uh, making a major major input into the type of problems and pain problems that we saw
0: yeah yeah and before we we double click on um, hemp, marijuana, CBD as a treatment for chronic pain patients. Uh, I wonder if you can give us some insight into the suite of tools that you currently have at your disposal yeah. in treating in chronic chronic so, pain.
1: I think if you go through the kind of um, the kind of medical pain sphere, you'll get varying degrees of types of. Um, Uh, processes that pay people sort of institute to try and deal with their patients what I mean by that is that there are a number of pain physicians who tend to be much more holistic approach on how to deal with problems Um, maybe some exercise orientated regimes um, uh, maybe medication regimes and um, and and possibly psychological uh, input which I feel is a very very important part of dealing with you know chronic pain problems uh, particularly the complex ones Um, medications out there can include things like, so we already know, paracetamol and non-steroid anti-inflammatory, simple analgesics. But of course, out there now with more kind of discoveries and more studies, there's the antineuropathics dealing with nerve type pains. Um, And this is ever expanding. Um, And I think, you know, that definitely is a major part, sort of medication control is a major part of our sort of input. Uh, And a lot of patients that we see is just, is just that. Um, I think when we talk about exercise as well, we kind of feel that that is an integral part. And you know, when you look at some of the podcasts out there, there's huge amounts of information to talk about how one can improve one's ability to mobilise and pain levels just by exercise alone. Now, I'm I'm very I'm, I'm putting it very basically, but yes, I mean it's physiotherapy, acupuncture, you know, osteopathy, even chiropractors. All this all joins together to giving um, quite important sort of um, management processes for patients. Um, And then there's quite a few of us in the pain sphere who also intervene. And this is what I was talking to you about sort of the technical bits is that we do have sort of processes by which we can intervene with injection therapy um, and things like that into various parts of the body to try and relieve specific areas that we can see that can be quite so, uh, painful. And I think that's starting, um, it's always been there, um, but obviously with regards to that, there are possible sort of forms of uh, side effects, complications that can occur. So In a way that we would definitely treat these patients, we would always try to uh, intervene in a much more um, less interventional sort of way initially, dealing with things that are very much attainable and have the least possible complication and side effects rate. Um, if those processes do not then sort of work and the patient still seems to be struggling, then we start to move into the more interventional. And I think that's the problem, you know, that's the way I look at things and I'm sure that's the way that most people look at things is you start working your way down the list to try and see a little bit more intervention to see if that can work. But clearly it's 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 towards the bottom of the list and uh, it's something that most pain physicians will look at.
0: Yeah. and so. Recently, it seems that the UK have now added another tool Yes. Uh, in the form of um, CBD. Although I'm quite uh, naive when it comes to the nomenclature, what everything actually means. So I think, why don't we start off with a few definitions about where CBD comes from, uh, wh- what plant is extracted from, and and how long we've actually known about some research on on the plant and its so, impact.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I think it's just on everybody's tip of their tongues now. It's, it's everywhere. I mean, you see it in sort of areas of drinks foodstuffs <clears throat> i was even really uh, just listening to a podcast that there's shops in sort of brighton that just deal with cbd infused products and food so i mean it what cannabis is basically derived from uh, a plant um cannabis sativa and it is the sort of um it's the kind of bud of the plant of that where cannabis is taken from and I, i'm sure you know most people have seen a cannabis plant it's the little fl- it's the flower on top of the leaf is the product that we use when we're talking about medicinal cannabis um, the plant is, is it's grown everywhere really it can grow in sort of tropical uh, temperate environments Um, But in essence, it's the sort of unflowered, sort of unseeded flower that is where the majority of the cannabis product is found on the plant. We take that sort of bud as such, and then by processing it through a variety of different chemicals, possibly, I think the majority of the ways that are done, it's using carbon dioxide we're able to sort of extract the essence of the kind of cannabis itself and and draw it into a much more usable format, which is now oil. I think the majority of stuff that we see nowadays in in shops and in medicines, it's more of an oil. And And then what sometimes they add to it is more of a carrier oil to it to give it more of an ability to be absorbed and to be taken in a much more pleasant way. And it is that what we see as the essence of sort of cannabis. Now, if we go into it a little bit more, the actual plant, because it's a naturally occurring substance um, and it's not really, there are synthetic forms of this sort of cannabis sort of plant as such. There's synthetic analogs of the stuff that is found in the plant. Um, what we see is the actual plant itself, and it contains a variety of different products or for di- different chemicals. The two main ones that everybody talks about is THC, and C B D. They're very kind of long words. I won't go into try and explain it or try and in any way try and pronounce it. <laughs> but it's those two kind of endocannabinoids that uh-huh. we always talk about. And it's the kind of variation between the percentages of either that gives us the actual effects that we want when okay. we start to use it.
0: And can you define exactly what an endocannabinoid is for
1: So an endocannabinoid is basically um, works on the sort of endocannabinoid system. Now this system is something that's been there all this time, but only more recently has been determined to be such, you know, have such an effect um, and when we look at these endocannabinoids, which are these chemicals, they basically replicate some of the products that are already made within us. So there are two main chemicals in us which endocannabinoids sort of kind of work exactly like um, and, and those and again, they're very complicated. there's one called two a g. Uh, and then there's one called anandamide. And and basically, these endocannabinoids, which are basically found in the plant of cannabis, basically do exactly what those chemicals do within the body. And those chemicals within the body, anandamide and 2 h are actually produced within the system. Mm. So what we're doing is we're using things that are basically produced by a plant that basically replicate what we already have in our body. So by... So for example, if this endocannabinoid system, which is found in a variety of different parts of the body, and I mean in such a wide part of the kind of system, if we can sort of manipulate that system, it is why, that's why its effect is so broad. So by ingesting or taking it or inhaling those endocannabinoids, we are basically giving an increase in the stuff that actually is within your body and therefore we can help to regulate the endocannabinoid system Mm
0: -hmm. and so that et system or endocannabinoid system is quite integral to pain perception and pain pathways yes
1: absolutely so we talk about where these endocannabinoids sort of take effect um and and in majority of cases we talk about in medicine, there must be receptors. And it just recently, I think you know, about 30, 40 years ago, started to develop where these receptors are and we started to name them. And there's two main, there's a cannabinoid receptor one and there's a cannabinoid receptor two. Um, and basically these endocannabinoids attach onto these receptors and start doing various things. Now these receptors are, it's important where they are. They are predominantly in the peripheral nervous system. So in your hands in your legs and your arms. But also, it's found within the brain. Um, That's where the majority of the receptors. But also, these receptors can be found in other parts of the body, they can find in sort of blood cells, they can find in other tissues, they can find fat cells, they can find in the liver and stuff. So hence, where this drug actually attaches to depends on, you know, gives the results that we're looking for. Uh, And I think that's, that's, that's where we're at at the moment. The two caveats that I have to put into into all of this is that we've only really sorry we've only really found um, the two main ones that we feel to be the most sort of uh, important endocannabinoids in, in the cannabis plant, but there's a, more than a hundred, and so the point of the matter is is that we have at this stage only two main endocannabinoids that we're working on and seem to be the ones that are giving us the effect that we want. But clearly there's a lot more research to be done on the various other compounds that we find within the cannabis plant that we use medicinally mm-hmm. now, that mm-hmm. we need to work on to try and find out how those interact with the body's physiology.
0: Yeah, because from my very basic understanding of the plant, uh, you've got the different phytochemicals that you find. So, you know, you've got terpenes, for example, and you have um, the the two uh, main tend to be psychoactive substances, THC and CBD, but there's also CSG, CBG, a whole bunch of other yeah.
1: names uh, of which we haven't fully appreciated perhaps. Absolutely. And this is what we, I think this is what you're, <clears throat> this is what we're talking about is that I think the, when, it, after sort of doing all the kind of research and things, I think what, what has been determined is is that the specific chemicals of THC when synthetically made mm-hmm. don't have as good an effect as the actual plant extract itself because of all these things that you mentioned. So there is certain certain things, what we call like the entourage effect, and I'm sure that's something that has been mentioned before. Um, The effect of terpenes and flavonoids and the other possible phytocannabinoids and endocannabinoids that we are aware of um, together they make the benefit and make the effect of what we're looking for, and and it's just the fact that we have a lack of knowledge to, of what they sort of do to the body. That's what basically we need to find out more about. And you know, I always put the analogy is that you know we use anesthetic drugs, um, and we know the way that they work, and the you know the way that they sort of be are absorbed, and the way that they sort of have an. That, the way that they sort of interact with cells. But the actual mechanism of their action, we just don't know, but we're still happy to use them. And they still decrease your consciousness and they work brilliantly, but we're we're still in that stage at the moment. We're starting to work it out, but I think we're still in that stage of exactly how they interact, we still don't know.
0: Yeah, it's quite interesting that, isn't it? Because I, I always think of the anaesthetist as someone who's very regimented, who knows exactly the correct titer uh, and dose to give patients and understands the mechanism of action and the, the, the kinetics of how it's working in the body and and we have this new substance of which we don't really fully appreciate the the broader mechanisms and what you described as the the entourage effect which i I think is really interesting because you know it's it's not just the synthetic uh component of the cbd and the thc in small amounts it's all the other you know plethora the other orchestra of 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 nutrients that you you find in that can be having effects both peripherally and centrally um so how do you, how do we get over that <laughs> so,
1: ignorance no yeah <laughs> I, I think, so, I, I, exactly that i think i think when we start to look at it um um it, it's it's and i think maybe this is possibly where we're getting into the stage where people are a little bit reluctant to use something that they're not happy with mm. and i think in the majority of other medical specialities when dealing with I don't know, aspirin, or, you know, another non-steroidal, we clearly know the way that it works on the system. And we feel happy that we can work out what to do if we don't take it, or what will happen if we do take it. This kind of I and I completely understand, you know, anesthetists have a reputation for being very particular and very, very um, uh, uh, oriented to know exactly the mechanisms of how things are working. And we're very uh, technically orientated so to think that we're in, we're using something which we don't fully know all that we need to know about it to make to give it to a patient but we still do it and i and i keep on using the analogy of propofol and anesthetic drugs yeah. is that we're happy to use it and it works brilliantly but the mechanism we're still n- not completely sure i think that just goes to show that we're in this environment where we can see the benefits we can see it works um, we should not be denying our patients the benefits of this particular drug. So yes, we do need to do more work on it, research and studies on it, but we should not be denying our patients the possibility of using it and gaining benefit it when we're dealing with such an important thing like chronic pain, which, which, as you are aware, can have such a marked effect on a patient's quality of life.
0: Are there any uh, other mechanisms of action that are perhaps hypothesized as to why the collection of THC and CBD molecules are,
1: are, are having an impact on chronic pain beyond the endocannabinoid system? I, I, th- it, 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 I, th- I think all that sort of information as in where this THC and CBD works, it, it, because of that fact that it has the, the, the effect of THC, in particular, has an effect on CB1 receptors and CB2 receptors, and works as a I'm going to an agonist, uh, which basically means it just activates the receptors. Um, in actual fact, CBD—it's—we're still to reach that stage where we don't think that it works on as an agonist on those receptors. So it has some other effect. So where people would say, oh, it works on the cannabinoid, in actual fact, CBD doesn't typically do that. So some people actually would suggest that it has different effects on the other system, possibly on, on other chemicals, and you know even at certain stages, it was purported that it might have an effects on cox one and cox two inhibitors but I, you know that has been that has been refuted so there is that to be th- thought about that actually we are getting to a stage where we're starting to develop actually maybe it 's not as clear as we originally thought, and where particular the cBD which is the stuff which you now get in you know, most shops in, you know, in, in various pharmacy, actually, in fact, doesn't work as we thought that it possibly would. It was working in some other way by inhibiting maybe some of the enzymes that are involved with sort of stimulation or excitatory sort of stimulation maybe works on the enzyme that breaks down these other naturally produced chemicals. And that gives you the effect of, you know, um, um, a THC, it, it it's still there to be discovered, and I think at this moment in time, um, we're so we're so we're so engaged to working out what the clinical benefits are. At the same time, we still need to do the basic science research to work out what is this doing, what is that doing, and 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 in particular when we talked about you know <clears throat> flavonoids and terpenes and th- what effect does that have. But we're so because there's so much. To be worked out, it's it, it. There's so much going on. I think that's what's keeping it interesting. What what you know? What is it exactly? And that's why so many people are so so interested with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I, I like like to think of the analogy of the uh, entourage effect as something like uh, vitamin E. You can either you know take it in a high dose in a supplemental form, or you can have it in your dark green leafy vegetables or your butternut yes. squash or whatever and you're getting a huge collection
1: of other ingredients as well that may have benefits uh, on Completely. A number of different systems. I mean, you know, without and we always talk about sort of like I always think about it as a cofactor, mm-hmm. you know, something to add in to help everything work together properly. Without it it doesn't really work as well, may well work, but when you add in something that sort of add, you know, it addresses all the bits and puts everything together nicely. And then it works beautifully in a much more efficient way. So that's maybe where yeah. these entourage or terpenes work. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and um, when it comes to the psychoactive uh, effect of, of the plant, uh, I'm assuming it's THC that has the psychoactive component yeah. and the yeah. CBD is. The so, yeah,
1: I mean, yes. I think, you know, everybody gets concerned about the psychoactive And that's possibly one of the reasons why people are a bit more resilient and re- resistant to its use. Um so THC is yes. It, it, there is a suggestion that you know what we. I think terminology is an issue sometimes because even CBD is determined to be psychoactive, but it doesn't have the euphoric effects that sort of is seen in THC. So yes, it's the concentration of the THC that has caused the majority of the more kind of sticking points and stuff that causes the, um you know, the the lightheadedness and the kind of, you know, high sort of feeling. So at the moment, it's about trying to work out what sort of levels work the best. But let me be clear, um, sometimes in certain cases, in certain individuals, depending on what they have, sometimes a slightly higher THC component is important.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's... um some research looking at THC, higher levels of THC in a combination product for people with PTSD or have issues with ruminations, uh, or even. Uh, and I don't know whether I'm right in thinking this, but whether THC has the uh, appetite upregulation as well.
1: Yeah, see, I think I think that's that's the important bit when. I think what we need to consider is, is that actually, when we look at the science of it, you know, I just basically mentioned mm-hmm. THC is the one that actually activates those CB, CB1 and CB2 receptors. So, in actual fact, it has some really very good beneficial effects. Mm-hmm. Um, when we look at <clears throat> the combination of it with CBD, it can be used for certain things, and exactly that. Um, when we're looking at, say, for example, uh, spasticity in multiple sclerosis and this is just an example um, the combination of thc and cbd together in a kind of a balanced solution that in particular is something that we kind of want and so in actual fact the combination of those two and the levels of them are pretty much the same and we use that specifically for multiple sclerosis patients and and in that sort of effect we're getting the benefit of thc so In essence, I think what I try to say to patients is that, you know, and and to people is that do not disband on the idea that THC is the bad thing. It's the kind of demonized part of the chemical um, uh, of the plant. We need it sometimes. And in certain cases, uh, THC itself, when balanced quite nicely with CBD, works very, very, very well. Thinking about things that, you know, specifics, well, multiple sclerosis is one. But if we're talking about, for example, you know, insomnia or inability to sleep um, at low levels and, you know, THC is quite good for anxiety. And I think that's the case. I think when you start to get the slightly higher levels of THC, uh, since we're talking about it, you kind of get to the effect that it might be. Anxiogenic, as in it might cause anxiety. But if you get it right, and given at the right time of the day, because everybody leads quite an important and quite a busy lifestyle, if you're getting it at the right time of day, when they are looking to sort of fall asleep, maybe even sort of rest, um, if you get the right dose and the anxiety that is sort of associated with its potential benefit, you might well get the fact that actually the combination of both might be beneficial for this yeah. patient.
0: Yeah, and and and. On that note, actually, I was going to ask about the doses of each and what what is the proportion of HD to CBD and how that might differ from
1: a product that you can buy from a random store on Camden High Street or something. (laughs) Yeah, so, uh, you know, CBD has been around for quite some time. And I think, yes, Camden seems to be that place (laughs) where you get those kind of fruity substances. But what we would say is is that um, the to be able to sell it in on a shop floor in a in a shop i think the thc content has to be quite low i think it's in the region of about 0.2 percent something like that um and that allows it um, the cbd content can be whatever it wants to be but in essence if you want to sell it over the counter it has to be within those limits the thc content um which is why afterwards, when we look at prescription, uh, prescription sort of medication, which are sort of carefully controlled percentages, that THC content can be anything it wants to be. Because, for example, there are certain, you know, as we talked about, you know, anxiety and possibly, you know, sleep and insomnia and things like that. Um, and in particular, patients with chronic pain, you do want that THC content. So that actual THC content can be quite high you can even get the ratio where there is 20 times the amount of thc to cbd oh really wow so okay. you're getting to the stages where actually there's minimal amounts of cbd but you know this psychoactive component that everybody's concerned about is quite strong um the doses that we would su- the doses vary from patient to patient but they you know as as, as and, I, and i would stress this i think in this country we do have we're very immature at that stage to work out the clinical aspects of it and i think you know having only just been sort of you know an unlicensed prescription since november 2018 we are still very very early on in the stages but you know, in America and Canada, where, you know, a lot of this has been going on for quite some time, they've sort of sort of thought about what of doses we're getting up to. But in CBD sort of uh, levels, I think the optimal doses are in the region of about, about 80 to 100 milligrams in a 24-hour period, whereas THC, you're getting to sort of half of that because of this fact that it can be quite um anxiogenic can make you feel a bit anxious it can have those psychoactive or euphoric effects so the amount that there is recommended for thc is considerably lower right
0: yeah and and to that point how how lethal are we talking uh with regard to cbd and thc products like and how do we compare that to some of the other over-the-counter medications that we have like paracetamol or or even alcohol
1: yeah, I, I think I think that's the, that, the you know, I, I think we touched upon it is that, uh, you know, and I think we were talking about it before, is that, you know, we, we as doctors in this country, we, we're kind of conservative. We're concerned about side effects. And, uh, you know, we can only look, you know, we only have to look across the way to, to opioids and the way that that has been dealt with, um, you know, the oxycodone and, and, and all that sort of a problem that has occurred. We are very conservative, and we are concerned about the side effects. We don't want patients, and this is potentially a this is potentially a drug that patients going to take long term. So we 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 are concerned about the safety profile. Um, and in actual fact, when you look at the studies, the one of the major problems from regarding the safety profile of cannabis is 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 the actual studies show. Um, The majority of side effects occurring as a result of recreational abuse so it's it's the the long-term effects let's just say and the problem with that recreational cannabis in particular is we are unsure of what that contains Mm. and I'm sure you know the 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 stuff the quantities the concentrations that we know of of THC and CBD are Mm. just we don't know Mm. and Nowadays, I am sure you know they're, they're laced with other products, mm. uh, and you know LSD or whatever other kind of recreational medications that pay, uh, that you know dealers or drug dealers have. The effects of those drugs and the studies that have occurred as a result to detect safety profiles of those of cannabis. Is 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 from those type of patients as well as those type of drugs. So there's a lot of confounding factors, and particularly when we talk about recreational cannabis users previously, um, they may well have you know social. Um, you know, psychological and mental health issues anyway. So in essence, when we look at this, the studies, actually look at the kind of conclusions of this, the effect is, is that, you know, we have to be careful about its use. You know, they can have severe psychotic effects on, on particular individuals when taken in the long term. Okay, but we forget to look at the actual essence of the study, which did take out people who were on other drugs, people who were taking, you know, recreational cannabis rather than the GMP uh, recognized medications. Um, And so, the influence of those studies have given us a kind of a a kind of like a, a, you know, scared us a little bit to use it. The problem with what we're using now is that this is much more engineered, refined, and carefully sort of. Um, uh, organized um, cannabis uh, medications with clear distinctions of exactly what's in the product Um, and patients who previously were you know you know in the other studies maybe you know recreational uh, abuses of other sort of recreational drugs um, are are, are people like you and me who basically have medical problems who need it and are taking it for a particular purpose so the long-term effects are our studies with regards to the safety profile of cannabis are still lacking of, of actually the right drug given at the right time for a right particular condition. That, unfortunately, is still lacking. So we're going to have to wait a few more years before that sort of safety profile, safety profile comes out. And we're talking about years of use. We have six-month sorts of evidence to say, actually, it doesn't cause anything problematic. It's not an issue. Um, but we want years we want 20 years worth 30 years here. Yeah. and because yeah. of its only recent introduction we just got to wait a bit of time for that yeah exactly because to your point
0: earlier about how chronic pain patients in particular are going to be on these medications for a long period of time you don't want to find you know five years down or ten years down the line that in the same way someone taking corticosteroids yeah. is more prone to having uh, adrenal issues or weight gain or a whole plethora of effects on their bones etc so um, that that's super interesting and I, and I wonder if there, we do have any evidence about the combination effects of uh, recreational use of
1: um, uh, marijuana and alcohol or other drugs. You know, and this is where I think where we where it's really important to incorporate, you know, randomized control studies with real world sort of science and real world data, which we're getting from parts of the world, be it uh, America or Canada. And it is this is where, you know, and I'm I would like to say, we're, you know, m- maybe an expert in this country. But, you know, you've got physicians in America and, and Canada prescribing it for many, many years. Mm-hmm. So they really know, you know, from a personal basis, how well their patients are dealing with long term use of this cannabis. And, you know, the 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 general sort of consensus is, is that it's extremely safe. Yeah. It's an extremely safe Sort of medication and the concerns that one would possibly have with say for example opiates um, it doesn't really fit the same bill it's um, and and i think one of the most important things to work out and to sort of like if you go down to the science bit of it is that actually opiate sort of receptors are dotted around all over the place in the body, but in particular in the brain, and in particular this, the respiratory centres and also the sort of cardiovascular or cardiorespiratory centres, basically. And when you stimulate those receptors enough, the problems occur with opiates, where people stop breathing, their heart rate drops, and they suffer what we call cardiorespiratory arrest. And that's where the long-term use of pro- uh, long-term use of opiates—that's where the problem occurs. What is noticeable about the sort of like the, the, the actual basic science of and, and the receptors that are CBD-orientated, uh, CBD they are all over the brain. They're all in the nerves and everywhere else. But in, in particular, what is noticeable in the brainstem, which is where the majority of the cardiorespiratory sort of centers are, there is no receptors. So in actual, oh, there's very minimal and so what we say is, is that the risks of developing those kind of complications with regards to uh, stopping you breathing and then people choking and then suffering cardiac arrest, those are negated by the fact that the actual chemicals that we are using, the cannabinoids and stuff, do not have any effect on those areas. So in actual fact, the science and the pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics, when we work it out, the safety profile actually when we look at it is really good. Uh, and the risks of any serious side effects in the immediate phase is really, really good. So we don't really have those concerns where we would sort of have with opiates. So hence the reason why nowadays people are thinking maybe we are sort of in the phase of suggesting that actually, instead of taking these long-term opiates, maybe we should be trying something else. And cannabis may well be the area that we need to go down as a as a much more of a safer product rather than sort of opiates
0: the opiates yeah exactly and with regard to um the psychoactive components of it is there a way that you uh, choose to screen patients that might have a history of schizophrenia or other mental yeah. health
1: conditions before you start prescribing? you're absolutely right i think i think in given the fact that we do sort of you know as soon as something comes out you want to sort of start to sort of use it on everyone and i think the way sometimes we sort of have been sort of it's been advertised it seems like the drug for everything and i think that's a bit ca- scary when you consider what everything is <laughs> but um uh yes yeah. so I, I think you know we're we're all kind of new in this sort of like field with regards to particularly in this country and i think the way that sort of like the british pain society has sort of thought about it is that they try to make it um quite um kind of uh broad orientated to make sure that Um, clearly we're in a phase now where this is being prescribed um, but possibly there are some precautions and caveats that we should be putting in front of people to consider as being something that you know maybe issues that we may well not use cannabinoids with and exactly that i think when we start to consider patients who have previous history of abuse uh, medication abuse i think we have to be very very cautious and and patients with possible you know and sort of controlled psychosis and things like that, we do have to be careful that we do not use it in these patients. Now, these are all relative because you're very, very careful, you you, you know, if you know, obviously, as you mentioned, it can be used for anxiety, depression, and you know, sleep issues and PTSD. Well, clearly we're entering the field of mental health, but then on the other hand, we're saying got to be aware of psychosis and things like that. So we just need to be careful to think that yes, it is something that we have to be aware of, but in a carefully controlled environment, you can use it for this, and in care, you can use it in patients who have a, a hu- you know a history of abuse. Um, it's a relative contraindication, but it's not absolute contraindication. I think that's what people you know who have had much more experience uh, are saying to us: is that we do have to be concerned, and as a doctor, you have to take it by case by case sort of um, uh, basis. But in essence, what we're trying to do is is just like, right, let's keep it out there. These are the sort of things that we need to be sort of red flagged. We need to be aware of. And, you know, and and it just isn't about, you know, psychological or mental health issues. We have to be careful with patients who have uncontrolled um, angina or cardiovascular disease um, because of the effect that it can have on your heart. It can cause you to have a bit of a tachycardia. And so we have to be careful about that. Um, And also, the suggestion is is that we don't use it on patients who are less than twenty five. Uh, it's again, it's a it's a thought, it's a it's an idea, and we have to take it by case by case basis. Yeah, and I think
0: you know, to your point about how recent the legislation has changed, it's led to a lot of anxiety amongst GPs who are being asked about you know the impact of CBD or whether they can get it on the NHS, etc. I wonder if there are um, resources that are specific for practitioners who are interested in the subject to sort of engage with uh, as a first point of call, um, just to sort of familiarize themselves with <clears throat> the, the products what's th- out there.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, so I think at the moment, the majority of people's sort of interest comes from now listening on, on media. I, I, there is so much out there, and I must admit, a lot of the stuff is really good, uh, and I've listened to quite a bit. And I think you know anybody who has any semblance of interest in social media and stuff, it's 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 there for you to read about. Um, what seems to be happening now and more is that um, the licensed providers who actually produce the medicinal cannabis that is okay for prescriptions uh, and it can be prescribed to patients in an unlicensed manner. Let's be let's be clear. Um, they're starting to do their job, which is basically education, and there are multitude of webinars, sort of, co- um, sort of courses out there. Um, and an actual fact, what we are noticing is actually some of these licensed producers with their, um, uh, with their sort of in, uh, individuals and sort of uh, medical liaisons officers, they're starting to go out there and starting to explain in a very non-sort of. Um, biased way the actual benefits and sort of the cautions with its use and I don't know about you repeat but you know I do find that I'm getting approached by a multitude of people just to say look would you be able to come and explain things and you know and only just the other day where there was a huge sort of webinar that I that was done and it was very very interesting and it was for everybody and it was at such a good level that I think a lot of people who were not medical would be able to understand it but it's a long process and there is definitely education as the way forward and i and i do feel for gps because they get given this sort of kind of cav- this kind of like you know this box and you but you're not allowed to open it yeah in, in essence who <laughs> yeah, yeah. says this is what's out there for these patients but you can't prescribe them. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it, i do i i am sure with the proviso of a specialist, I think there will be some connection between the secondary care and the uh, prescription of it and GP services. So it will be coming close. And I'm sure we won't be seeing in the too uh, too distant future that Mm. actually GPs will be able to prescribe it or possibly continue the prescription Mm. after the initial initiation of it by a A specialist specialist. Yeah, exactly. Um, I wonder if you could speak about the
0: uh, current products on the market that consumers can buy right now and uh, specifically on their potential efficacy, their safety, and whether people should be engaging with these products or or not. Because I'm seeing ointments, sprays, vapes, um, everything with CB attached to it. And I think it's going to become one of those things that's so ubiquitous in society in the same way caffeine is yes. you know so caffeine being the most widely available psychoactive substance that we have uh, across the globe and it's in everything from drinks to chocolate to you know food products etc so i wonder if this is the way we're going and whether that we're there um, from a safety profile so currently
1: i think i think at, so i think we have to take our lead from other countries that basically have gone down this route and and seeing what the complications and problems that have been. Um, um, at this moment in this country, as I mentioned, you know CBD uh, at whatever concentration can be uh, given. Um, it's, it's thought of as, I think, a food supplement. So there are certain restrictions on what one can sort of do with regards to it. Um, and there are certain processes by which the person who wants to Provide it as part of it has to go through in order to be able to allow it to happen and to and to sell it the I think what we what we need to consider is actually as a general rule CBD in actual fact is a very very safe type of medication and and, and, and what I have found with patients when I do speak to them and I do broach the subject. Oh, right. So have you ever thought about cannabis? Well, when we're way down the line of having tried a lot of other problems, a lot of medications and treatments, they go, oh, yeah, I picked some up from the other shop the other day. And it's all right. I, I don't think it really helped. But, you know, I went to sleep fine. So I think... It's it's definitely out there and people are taking it as part of their sort of normal routine and it may well not be for the typical problem that I seem to be dealing, which is chronic pain. So when I look at it and see the concentrations in these products that are out there, in actual fact, the majority of these concentrations are quite low and the effect that they have is, is relatively quite Good. And, and and I think the majority of symptoms um, that I gather from most patients who have taken it have said that it makes them feel quite relaxed. Um, it makes them feel quite well. They feel quite kind of um, enthusiastic, uh, should I say, uh, and they sleep really well. And those are the three main things that I find that seems to sort of be the main thing about its use. I am aware that the uh, the concentration of CBD at the moment has been increased, and now I've seen products of thirty to forty percent. Oh, really? Wow! Yeah, it's very high. So it's very very high. But again. If used in a carefully organized environment, I find there to be not very much in the way of complication side effects or adverse effects. People must be aware that there are simple side effects that can occur with everything. I'm sure the same would be the case if you were to have a couple of glasses of alcohol. Um, But the majority of side effects that they say is they may have a bit of dry eyes, dry mouth. Um, um and, and and they do feel quite relaxed and possibly mildly sedated. Now drowsiness sounds very, very severe, like you can't walk and you're gonna trip over things, but drowsiness in a in a mild form. And those are the main things. And um, they may well mention they may have some um gastrointestinal symptoms, be it sort of uh, loose stools or something like that, when it gets to the to that effect. But in essence, it's very, very well tolerated. Mm-hmm. When we start to look at the effect of, uh, you know, we're slightly moving on to the effects of using THC, um, that's where the things, the psychoactive component may well have a degree of influence that I think we haven't quite seen in this country yet uh you know because of the fact that it's not legalized and it can only be prescribed on a on a prescription basis and i think when we go to when you go to um, america or possibly certain states of america and canada and you see the way that it's being used on a recreational point of view and it being infused into drinks uh into foods um in actual fact the, the 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 first initial studies and the thoughts is that it actually it doesn't have that much of a kind of uh, a negative effect on society in actual fact um the the you know the amount of admissions into a and e or, or or things or road traffic accident has in no way increased in its in, in, in those areas where the infusion of thc content which is obviously the psychoactive component uh has been okay has been done and i think there's massive massive multi-billion companies now that are in you know pushing themselves forward in particular i think the biggest one i know is corona beers those are now being started to sort of like being infused into drinks and stuff and i think the effect of it is 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 not what the major concern was is that everybody was going to Drink this drink and just turn out on the street and start having a fight and stuff. It's it's not, it, it's not happening. Um, but we still have to be cautious. Um, uh, and having been to um, uh, Canada and lo- located these places where this is available on the streets um, in the shops, it is very very well, very well regulated environments. I mean the shops are fantastic. They are very clean. Um, there is they're not scattered around everywhere they are still kind of regulated in certain shops um, and 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 yes i mean the, the potential is is that is this going to happen here um, i think in some format recreational medic, recreational cannabis will be available but you know um, let's be clear the uk is not canada And so it will have all of its problems that come with the UK. We do have to be concerned about what the potential of that is when it comes to the point that we're thinking about legalizing cannabis.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I think it's a really good point you make about not comparing. We're not comparing apples to apples here. It's a completely different society, completely different culture. um, And the way they interact with uh, all recreational drugs is going to be different, uh, particularly in inner cities in the UK. So that, uh, just on the point about driving, is there any upper tolerable limit of CBD that's currently available in the UK right now and, and the advice on whether you should drive or not? C- CBD
1: is, is okay. Okay, <coughs> CBD To use CBD and to drive is, is, is okay. It's just, obviously, you have to be concerned on what it's infused with. If it's with alcohol or whatever that there is available, then you have to be concerned about that. It's the THC content that is still... Uh, the concerning bit so if you get cbd from um from the shops over the counter that's fine from what i'm aware but this can this is changing um it's the thc content when we prescribe it as medicinal sort of purposes that's where the problems um arise and again you know legislation is you know and and legality of driving with it is it it needs to catch up a bit because like Um, with opiates and you know patients can be on morphine and various other things the actual sort of thought process is is that if you are in a way impaired psychologically or mentally as a result of taking it you shouldn't drive Um, and there are sort of guidance to say that if after taking um, THC and CBD you know medicine you should wait a few hours before you get into a car and it's not recommended that you sort of operate heavy machinery after you've taken it. Um, if they do catch you, and this is something to be aware of, they they can sort of um, take samples and tech for your THC content, and they can suggest that that is inappropriate. and You can be booked or prosecuted as a result. However, um, providing them with evidence, Of its, you know, why you're taking it, and providing a prescription and your papers, that will all help your case. So at the moment, there's a bit of a grey area with its with the THC use, but CBD at the moment, it's it's okay. Okay, and
0: specifically through the lens of pain uh, management, um, what sort of uh, excipients, I guess, or uh, modes of delivery are there available that you find that are most effective?
1: Um, Again, I think this is a developing area. I think Mm. the main main sort of ways in which we are delivering it is in an oil format. It seems the most easiest thing to do. And I think, you know, CBD or, 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 or on its own or THC and CBD together, the majority of formats in which we provide it is in an oil format. And uh, in that way, because... The produce or the CBD, uh, and I use and CBD in a broad sense. In a broad sense, I mean cannabis is such medicinal cannabis, which contains either THC, CBD, or CBD on its own. Um, you, it's a the, the way that we prescribe it is in a titratable manner. So we are all very concerned about the side effects and how it affects patients. And I think this is true right the way throughout pain medicine. We always start a medication in a very low dose. And I think that's important to see how it reacts with the body. If you find that initially it's just a a very intolerable reaction, to stop a very small amount is very, very easy. So in the essence of using oils, we can then increase the amount that we want to give in a very kind of titratable and easy manner. So hence the reason why we use oils in the first step. And I think that by delivering it underneath the, well people say you have to put it underneath the tongue in most cases people just drop it on the tongue mm-hmm. it's very difficult and, and 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 when you take it is important and it's not really to do with the timing it's more to do with whether or not you're eating or not because that sort of aids the digestion and, and absorption of it Or so it's not I think it, it doesn't matter whether or not you do it with food or not, without food it's more to do with if you're going to do it just do it regularly with or without food depending, you know, in your own specific way. And I think that's important because the absorption of it is altered by food. So we normally start them on a very low dose, maybe a drop or two, maybe 1.1 1. 1 mil or 0. 0.2 mils initially. And then every three to four days, we just build it up. And carefully, we get to a point where we feel that actually the symptoms have improved. Um, and then we kind of stick on that. The one thing that I would suggest, what I would say about the medication itself is that it takes a long time for it to work. Um, these receptors are probably uh, not really at their full functioning in the body because they've been neglected for whatever reason, which is why you've probably come to come to us with whatever, whatever medical problem that you may well have. Those need to be formed, and the stimulus for them is pretty much endocannabinoid CBD and THC so it's got to get into the system these receptors have got to sort of make themselves available and that just takes time so an actual fact from 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 sort of clinical experience we noticed that actually even at the same dose we seem an improved we see a much more improved effect after maybe two months three months so in actual fact it's the body turning itself open to the actual, you know, cannabis itself, that we see that actually, even at the same doses, the effects are improved maybe two, three, four months later. Interesting. So it's almost like the reverse tolerability, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we don't get very much tolerability ah. in tolerance in, in, in this type of medication. But clearly, you know, this may occur after 30, 40 years. Mm, exactly, we just yeah. don't have the evidence. What we do notice is actually the body responds to the drug that it's being given with cannabinoids. And actually that does seem to actually take effect maybe even three, four, five months later.
0: Yeah, well, that's fascinating. And and do you think there's any um, sort of future, future application for different modes of delivery like uh, inhalation or um, aerosolization maybe in the same form as a, as an aerosol that you'd use for asthma?
1: Yeah, I, I think you know. In, in, you know, in, when you look at some of the science behind it, you know, sometimes uh, some studies have shown that it's kind of bronchodilatory in actual fact. Um, but the problem is, is that when we start to consider other formats, and you know, and I, and I move away from oils, um, you can get it in soft gels, which is, again is it's more kind of like eating a tablet. But again, the vapor. When we talk about inhalational. Mm-hmm. The concern is is that we may well be suggesting you should go and smoke it Um, and because you can actually buy flour as well you can actually buy the bud so we may well get into the to the may well sort of find that actually the flour is quite a useful part of delivery system and we would suggest that the best way to get the good bits of that flour is via a vaporizer so the reason why we may well say that's a good way of doing it is because if it's quicker onset and exactly that you you, you get a quicker onset if you are sort of reaching a sort of a pain plateau on a normal basis with the tab uh, with the with the oils or the gels and then the pain there's some breakthrough pain where the pain is excessive or they've got a specific very spasmodic type of pain that really just comes on and off it is those sort of problems and those sorts of pains that actually um, we think maybe something like vaporizing the product in a, in, a, in a, you know, the, the flower may well benefit the patient. So um, there are certain instruments out there right now. I think the majority of them are used for the various oils out there, but you can use it for the flower itself. And in actual fact, the benefit of it is that it just works really, really quickly. Whereas it does take a bit of time for the oils to get into the system, pass through metabolism and for it to work. So sometimes it's necessary. And I've heard of people, I've heard of people in actual fact, not not, not none of my patients, but in actual fact, they are going to do a a speech uh, in front of hundreds or whatever, thousands of people. Um, And just before they go, they get their vapor out of cbd and they just take a few puffs. calms them down 10-15 minutes they go up on stage and they start sort of you know reciting whatever speech they have so it can be used for a variety of different things or you know you're going to a big party you're all dressed up you know just before you get there you get a bit of kind of anxiety where we all do i'm sure we do it's a couple of vaporize a couple of sort of inhalations via the vaporizer suddenly they feel much more relaxed and calm and they just do what they they need to. So it's each to their own, and I think the the, the method by which we deliver it is is important. Um, and now we're starting to get the creams and stuff. I think, I think there's CBD infused face creams and yeah. things like that. Yeah. So all these different things um, um, are, are there and they need to be further investigated. And I think that, that's the point, is that we're still very you know, early on in this country with regards to it. So I think there's a lot more work to be done.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting application because I think with the oil, I see why that might be useful for someone with chronic pain uh, on a daily basis. That's easily titratable, but if someone has acute pain or maybe even in the emergency department who knows um where instead of us uh, delivering entonox or an opiate-based medication that we inject perhaps there is a there is some utility from some elements of the plant uh, that can be used in more
1: more acute settings i i completely agree you know with its with its multitude of facts of being a analgesic anti sort of like muscle like a muscle relaxant <clears throat> uh, and a feeling of a, you know a degree of you know well being, mm-hmm. I think it would be perfect for things I don't know like dislocations and possibly things like that. It, yeah, it, there's a little bit of a slightly quicker onset that um, that we need, but yes, I mean we already use Antonox, um, but clearly it's, it might have a you know an apl- applicability in that yeah. environment.
0: Super interesting. Um, I'm just wondering and. and- whatever you say next will not be construed as medical advice. So I'm going to add that. Oh yeah. For you. Yeah.
1: I just like to say, these is my own personal thoughts. <laughs> this is not what everybody else thinks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if someone is listening to this and perhaps they work in a stressful environment, they don't have any medical conditions. They struggle with sleep a bit at night. Um, you know, they've tried a, a bit of, um, uh, maybe talking therapy and, you know, they don't feel unwell enough to speak to their GP Is taking a CBD infused oil something that you think either now or in the future could become something that you could just do in the same way you might do, um, I don't know, a meditation course or change your diet somewhat Um, or do you think we're not at that level yet where the consumer products that are currently available are of a high enough standard where I can experiment for 30 days with a couple of drops of C B D under the tongue before I go to bed?
1: So I I think it depends. I think I say that a lot when answering the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <that's laughs> it depends. <fair> <laughs> I think as a medic, you always get that kind of you know thought process. There's two sides to the argument. Um I, I, I always think of sort of like C B D products that are available over the counter as as like choosing a car unfortunately you get you know and and we're including second hand cars you know <clears throat> and I, and I and I don't want to you know say that there are some dis- you know there there are some reputable sorts of organizations out there who are making very very good cbd infused products or oils and stuff like that but clearly there may well be other companies that aren't and it's about Choosing the right product and and it's how happy you feel about the product that you're getting actually says what it does Say on does it contains what it says on the tin so when we do go out to sort of purchase this product, I think you should be careful about everything. You know, you don't buy, uh, you know, as we have today, some, you don't buy poorly formed, you know, lentils or you yeah. get a really quite good, good deal. You know, the, the type of mushrooms that you use are important. So when using your CBD product buying over the counter, you just have to be careful about where you buy it from. And there are a lot of products out there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't know, I don't know half of them, but it's about choosing the right product. However... <clears throat> if you have been able to find the right product and you find that it is a reputable sort of, and it says what it is, um, then it, it it is something that I can foresee that actual with, with the kind of, if you look at the science behind it and you look at the way that it works, um, I can see it's, Uh, effect to be uh, to be beneficial and and to be taken in a manner that one would say for example take a glass of wine Um, I can see it being used in that manner and I know of people who do do that without the influence of too much of the way of medical environments or you know getting a prescription and all the technical involvement that goes with medicines as such Um, I, I, I do see that it can be used in that way and the fact of the matter is the proof is in the pudding when I I speak to patients who have tried it and I speak to a number of um, you know just random people through the work that I do they say it's great yeah. and, and and particularly for those things yeah. where you are sort of have a such a busy lifestyle you are quite um, stressed and you have you know a multitude of other things going on through your brain um, and you are possibly having problems sleeping um, the suggestion is out there at the moment that actually it is okay just to use it to take a lot of to take some of it and to see how it goes and to gain the benefits of it without thinking too much of the side effects well the side effects of cbd will clearly be there um, and you can probably, you, you know, for example, some of my patients do say that they have, it's noticeable that it doesn't taste great. It's, yeah. You know, sometimes it's that's why, yeah, it's a grassy, grassy taste. And sometimes it's necessary to sort of be infused with sort of sweets and gummy bears or whatever they might have out there. Um, but they're happy with that because it does give them the things that they're looking at. Uh, I I think when we go back and I'm going right way back to something I said earlier, the the safety profile is probably key and the long-term effects of this drug needs to be sort of really borne out. And I think we're we're on the way to working out the long-term effects of CBD and THC together and the effects of it. And I think that will be the real decider as to whether or not it is something that we are sort of going forward with. Um but let me say one thing, and I think this is quite important, is that if you were to Readvertise, for example aspirin today and sort of say oh this is a new drug um, it's an analgesic it's an antipyretic it's anti-inflammatory what do you think if that drug was to go through the same sort of uh, routines and regulations that possibly all drugs are required to go through now I am sure that aspirin would not be allowed on the market. And that's the thing, is that the complications that occur with aspirin, including in the gastrointestinal system, and if you talk about the effects it has on the lungs, and as well as on the kidneys, I doubt, and this is just my thoughts, I doubt very much that would be able to be allowed back on the market. So we're talking about drug which is doesn't any of that, but still, because of what's happened in the past and the kind of popular ideas of it, is that people are reluctant to use it. I think... Let's see, like with everything, alcohol, smoking, clearly we can see the problems with that. This is much less than that.
0: Well, that, to that point, actually, there's definitely an incentive for pharmacists to become a lot more clued up uh, on it, bec- particularly as it's an OTC drug or the the, the non-prescription um, uh, formulations of it. So for them, it's a great opportunity to, to increase their own sales. So yeah, it, it's definitely something that they
1: should... Yeah, they're they're definitely sort of getting on board, and you know, and like yourself, I mean, you're seeing it at the front lines. Patients coming in. What about CBD? I'm sure you're getting a lot, and and I'm sure that the primary practice uh, will be much more involved over the coming uh, over the coming sort of years Um, the only thing I would suggest at the moment that seems to be the major sort of confounding factor to starting the medicinal cannabis and I mean medicinal cannabis from a from a point of view from a a prescription is at the moment it's quite pricey yeah yeah. so I think in for about a month's worth for a specific condition Uh I think it comes to about two three hundred quid
0: oh wow Wow. Very nice Yeah.
1: So it depends. Do we so,
0: produce it in the UK or is this-
1: So there are there, there there are there is a company that actually and there are more and more companies coming out who are licensed producer who produce it in this country. Yeah, there yeah. is. So um it's starting to develop and, 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 and the price of it is comes from the distillation pro- the, the kind yeah. of extraction process yeah. and the fact that they have to grow it and it's a plant yeah. and it's quite heavy kind of intensity type mm. of product mm. um, and then it's got to go through a number of regulations to, to match what we want to be in it mm. that we say that it is and that well, all that that just costs yeah. money but um, that has definitely come down from what we saw in 2018, where it was approximately about a 1,000 quid, mm. and I say um, for a month's worth, wow. from when in 2018, towards the early on in 2018, and supply issues to something now that is is two, 300 quid, yeah. and supply issues are minimal. Yeah. There are still some supply issues. We still have to do it on a named patient basis, uh-huh. but it's much better than it was. Wow. So we're looking we you know it's improving it's, Definitely a space go. to watch yeah <laughs>
0: I really hope you enjoyed that podcast episode with Dr. Atom Singh. He's honestly a breath refresher. I love the open-minded attitude he has uh, and the holistic nature in which he treats chronic pain patients. I'm sure this won't be the last time we hear from Dr. Singh. Um, We'll be doing some more stuff on CBD as an ingredient and um, hope to catch you on later episodes of the podcast. Speak to you soon.